Well, hello, friends. Uh, Barry Klingen, Kirk Moose, coming to you tonight, Bishop and the Moose. And uh, we're coming to encourage you some, with some thoughts from Scripture tonight and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. We started doing these uh, during the time when the quarantine was uh, put in effect and everybody was stuck at home. And we've continued to do these, and uh, we appreciate all the encouragement we receive uh, from people uh, writing us in. I've heard from some family members, extended family members that I hadn't talked to in a long time, and uh, also some friends that I hadn't talked to in years. And I'm uh, very grateful always to hear that. Be clinging at trophylakes.org. You can write me an email. Uh, Bish, uh, Moose, I started to call you Bishop. I'm the Bishop. He's the Moose. Kirk Moose at mooseministriesinc.com. Got a great prayer request button there, a way for you to uh, send any prayer requests or also to uh, communicate uh, uh, with him and also a chance for you to go to his website and see his ministry and what it's all about. Always good to be with you, Kirk. And they can also go check out what's going on in the Amazon because you, yes. you guys always hear us talk about Pastor Jose and Clara. Yes. Well, there's a lot of great information and there was a wonderful videographer that went down into the Amazon with me and he actually did an interview of Pastor Jose that tells you his story. And we're hoping to further that one day and get more information. But you can also go there and learn about Pastor Jose and Clara. Yes. Uh, but today, what we're really wanting to talk about, guys, is we want to talk about change. It's something that happens to all of us. We go through change from a child all the way to an adult. And even once we reach adulthood, change doesn't stop. It just continues to happen. And sometimes things in our lives happen that bring us to a point of change that we don't want. It brings pressure. It sometimes brings discomfort. Yes. Sometimes it can bring anxiety. Yes. And yes. sometimes it can downright make you feel like you are in the wrong place at the wrong time at the wrong moment. But sometimes that's not the case. A good friend of mine was telling me just the other day when I was sharing with him about some things at work that sometimes the pressure that's on the outside is an indicator of where God's trying to take you because the pressure that's on the inside should always overcome the pressure that's on the outside. So if we're not having proper pressure on the inside from the Lord, mm -hmm. maybe we need to do a barometer check on ourselves and say, okay, Lord, where am I with you? Is there exactly. something I need to do? And I know just today I told the Lord, I said, Lord, thank you for the pressure. Yes. When I was at work, I'm like, Lord, thank you for the pressure. Why? It's not that I don't have enough. I've got way more pressure than I want, but because I want to make sure that I'm giving honor to God in every season that I'm currently in. Yes. And in talking about that, Pastor, you know, I think you taught a message not too long ago where you were talking about change yes. and how even in one moment that Jesus himself he was talking to somebody, and I'm not going to tell the whole story because yeah, I don't uh, want to steal your thunder, but it, it really kind of was a little bit different. Do you want to kind of yeah, let go me into get that? into that a little bit? One of the one of the passages uh, in the Gospels. It's uh, this particular one's found in Mark chapter eight and verse twenty two, and it's uh, one of the many healings that Jesus uh, performed in his ministry. But uh, they all are unique, and uh, this is one of the blind people that he healed. He did that several times. Matter of fact, if you uh, think about all the blind people he healed, but remember this: that in the first century, uh, because of um, you know lack of hygiene and lack of medical facilities, there, it was uh, not unusual at all. If you had a crowd of people, there'd be a few standing there with glassed-over eyes and swarm flies around them because uh, blindness was very common. But in this particular uh, story, uh, Jesus is approached by the friends of this blind man. 
and uh, they beg Jesus to touch him. They had the faith to believe that if Jesus touched their friend, then the miraculous would happen uh, in his life. But Jesus did something uh, really unusual. He was always doing something unusual. Uh, he, he never really healed the same way anyone, even blind people. It was a little different each time. And um, I believe the reason he did that is because if he did it the same way every time, we would try to copy the method rather than understanding the presence and the power of what's going on in the in the in that particular uh, process. But this this uh, man in Mark eight twenty two. Now Jesus takes him. His friends come and beg him uh, to touch him, and and Jesus takes him. And this is what it says in Scripture. He led him out of town. Uh, that got my attention the minute I saw that. I thought, w- w- what's going on here? But having some personal experience of that in our own family, uh, my son-in-law was blind from birth, and uh, he's one of the, the, not one of, he's the most amazing uh, human being I've ever met in my life. He just graduated law school. He's uh, going to be taking the bar this summer. He's an incredible man, incredible friend, uh, fun person to be around. But I've learned a lot, obviously, watching him and not just knowing from afar the basic things about it, but really seeing how someone operates uh, without uh, sight. But... One thing I noticed in this scripture, though, when he led him out of town, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to know that familiarity is everything to a person who can't see. I mean, not being ugly or anything, but to change the furniture around a blind person is not to do him any favors because what a person does, they get used to where things are when they can't see. And so familiarity is everything. You think about this blind man. he, He no doubt knew that where he slept at night when he woke up, it was four steps this way, fill the wall, three steps another way, and you could have breakfast or you could have six steps out to the curb and be begging alms all day, which is all that they could do in those days if they were blind. And so he, he knew his surroundings and didn't want them to change. And what is the first thing Jesus does? Takes him out of uh, the familiar. Now, when you when you do that, you know, the, there's a couple of things that happen. One you know, you become completely dependent upon the one leading you. Now, if you're at home in familiar surroundings, at least you know those three steps, four steps here, touch this, whatever. But when you've been led out to an unfamiliar setting, you you don't know, you know, left, right. You don't know what's going on. So you're completely dependent. Secondly, the anxiety level goes way up. Because if this person uh, leaves me, what, what am I going to do? I heard a person tell a story, a good friend down in the Amazon was telling me about a girl, her first mission trip she took, and she was in Nicaragua somewhere, and they took boats at night up the river, and she, they stopped the boat, and you, you honestly could not see your hand in front of your face, and she got out of the boat, and the boat went away, and she was standing in a foreign country, and she couldn't see anything, and out of nowhere, she just said, Lord, help, and some little boy grabbed her hand and started leading her in. Well, you know, uh, he, he the anxiety level goes up real quick when you when you don't have those familiar standards. And then, you know, also you you really, and this is where I really make the application here, you are removed from your personal comfort zone. Yep. So, you know, Jesus did nothing by mistake. So if he's taking this man out of town, what he really and in fact is doing is showing that in order to get this miracle, things have to change. And, and in order for it to change, I've got to change and get you out of your comfort zone. I've got to bring you into a place that is, uh, you know, uncomfortable for you. And, you know, that's, that's the change that's going on. And I, I can't think of a time uh, when in just six months 
uh, seven months' time, our nation, our world, has changed or experiencing national change, transformation on a national level. Obviously, the virus that that has hit us that now we still don't know what the new normal is going to be like about what we have to do with face coverings and all this stuff that's going on with all that. And But we all think what we're a little uneasy right now. Why? We're out of our comfort zone. We don't know that's what right. how, how we shop, how we eat, how we dine out. How's it all that going to change? You know, and then obviously the national conversation that we're uh, been thrust in about race uh, in our country and all the things that are attended with that is bringing about some change in our country well that's going to upset some things um, you know probably for for mostly for good uh, in some of those areas but uh, nevertheless whatever it is it's change and it's change on a big level it's not just one person going through some profound change in their life it is a national you know change of culture that's going to happen and then get, as I said a couple of weeks ago uh, we got a presidential election right here That's ahead right. of us, and I've been through several of those in life, and they're always, um, you know, a time of great challenge for our country. So 2020 is going to be a time of all kinds of change that's going on. And uh, so uh, not only personally in your life what may be going on, but also we know on this big scale what what's taking place is that's that right. change is being forced on us. And, you know, what ways, uh, you know, when, when that we're forced into that, it puts us out in a – in an unfamiliar position, it, it also shows us that that's the way many times we can be pushed, you know, forced, as it may be, to experience something different in our life and, and move forward. Does that make sense? It sure does. And don't you find it interesting also that Jesus didn't use the same method every time? Yes. I yeah. mean, in one instance, the woman comes up, actually, she just comes to him, grabs the hem of his garment, and she believes, and so she receives. And Jesus is like, okay, who touched me? Mm-hmm. And so there's one instance where someone's faith alone did the healing. We have another one where they come, and they it's at the centurion. You know, he comes and says, you know, you don't even have to come to my house. Just give the word, and my, yes. my, my son or my servant will be healed. Yes. And Jesus says, as your faith is, let it be so. But then we see this man. Mm-hmm. which I think m- most of us would really relate to this. Mm-hmm. You know, God or Jesus, he takes him and removes him from his comfort zone and pretty much says, buddy, you're looking on your surroundings for your mm-hmm. answer, for your provision. I'm removing you from everything you know mm-hmm. so that you no longer are focused on the familiar and now you can focus on what's in front of you. That's, that's good. It's almost as if in Scripture... You know, from men experiencing God from the beginning of time, or as recorded in Scripture, uh, down to our day, is that uh, it's a prerequisite. Uh, If you're going to experience God in a new way, uh, you know, you you have to get out of your comfort zone. Very much. Now, how many of us, because we're creatures of habit, some of us more than others, but all of us are in some degree, uh, how many of us uh, have really looking back on our life, if we have some time behind us, to say, you know, the real times I changed was when something was forced upon me, oh, uh, you know, now that, that, cause we don't choose it. Uh, obviously we don't choose trials. We don't choose the difficulties, you know, think about this, all the great innovations in the world. That's, I mean, all the groundbreaking things have always come through tr- times of tribulation or war. I mean, yes. we don't like to think about war being the time when good, great things mm-hmm. happen, but that is the moment when all the nations around the world have made the biggest scientific breakthroughs. 
you know, even times when past, past you know, uh, global pandemics have happened, those are the times that the greatest revelation and medical science took place. Yes, exactly. You know, it's always been through times of great stress when things that were great occurred. And that's actually a documented fact. Uh, a man by the name of scientist by the name of Kuhn, K-U-H-N, wrote a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, and he introduced a phrase in it, this was decades ago, that uh, became very popular at one time called a paradigm shift. And he said yep. every great discovery of science and medicine always took place when someone had a complete shift in their view of something uh, in order to be able to see it differently. And as a result of that, great innovations, great technology, great medicine was discovered, you know, all of, all of those things. One, one of the things I, I really believe when we talk about change, coming back to our personal lives, is that uh, this thought crossed my mind years uh, ago. And uh, here's the thought. You will never go anywhere if anything, if everything you hear is where you already are. You'll never go anywhere if everything you're hearing is where you already are. Now, being creatures of habit, even as Christians, we want to surround ourselves with people that are confirming our worldview, confirming uh, what we think about how things work. And that's natural to some degree that we're going to obviously do that. But when you do that to a point where you're in a closed environment and you're never thinking outside the box. From my earliest days in ministry, and I was very different from my friends at that time because I started out a fundamentalist. I mean, I had a very narrow view of, of, of everything. But yet I knew even early on I loved to go over and listen to people that were in different camps, I'd call it, different uh, traditions, you know. And uh, even some of my folks would have, you know, the people I was around would have thought, oh, my goodness, you know, you're listening to that. But I always you know, knew that I did not have a market on truth. And I always love it. And that has just increased in my life because I'll, I'll listen to people that, I, you know, even know about their life or their ministry that I don't really agree with some things. What are they saying? I want to hear what they're saying. Yes. And it's through that, that that great change has taken place in my life along the way uh, of, of moving more and more into a fellowship and a relationship with the Lord and be more effective in ministry, you know, by, by being willing to do that. If everything you hear is where you already are, you know, you're never going to get to where you need to be. You're never going to, you got to, you have something that, that shifts you out of that uh, comfort zone. We get in a comfort zone. Well, dare I say this, we get in a comfort zone theologically. Now, I don't mean, I always have to say this, I, mean, I don't mean the fundamentals of the faith. There's some facts that are not up for debate, and we're, not, right. we're not looking to change those, you know. I'm talking about just the way I look at, look at things. I started out in ministry, I was a I was a sexist individual. I mean, I believe almost bad, you know, in the way women were not able to use their spiritual gifts in church. And over time, God changed my heart, you know, by looking at things a little differently, seeing things differently in ways that have allowed half the body of Christ to be able to use their gifts in church. That's just one of many things that people say, have you changed? What have you changed? I've changed in everything, not the fundamentals, obviously, but I've changed in everything along the way. I do things today I'd never do, even in the practical level. When the virus hit, for the first time in 30 years, I preached in blue jeans. You know, I hadn't done that since I was a youth speaker uh, somewhere, you know, and I was just a little, I wore a coat and tie every Sunday. And of course, Texas heat will cure you of that kind of oh, conviction real quick because you, you're just incredibly uh, hot uh, when the summertime rolls around uh, in this place. But nevertheless, not just practically, but, but more importantly, how I see God, how I walk with God, how I've experienced God. 
uh, how it has, has changed me. So don't, you know, my encouragement would be find a way. I'd do that. Uh, one time uh, my wife was telling me we, we left our house where we've lived in now for longer than anywhere we've ever lived. And it's just a very short drive to the church, but you can actually go two ways. Uh, right out of our driveway, you can either go, you know, one way or the other. That we argue about which one's faster, but they're both about the same. And I always go the same way every time. And so she would took, take the other way. So why are you doing that? She said, "Let's change it up," you know. And and uh, you know, you get these ruts in your own brain that of everything being familiar every day. You got to shake things up a little bit. And that seems, you know, uh, not anything. That's you know, just something you do or something you might do just practically during the day. But much more important. When's the last time, I love to ask this question, when's the last time God rocked your world? Oh, come on. When was the last time he shook you to think, wow, could that be possible? Could he really do this? Uh, You know, I about learned to say this, uh, again, standing upon the very fundamentals of our faith of who Jesus is and the scriptures and all these type things. But, But I've almost said, don't ever use God and not in the same sentence other than saying nothing is impossible with God. And that's the only way to use the negative with him uh, in there because there's just, uh, there's, you know, he can do anything he wants. And he can do it any way he wants. And uh, we, have to, we have to remind ourselves of that. So we do that. So I'm, I'm asking you today, you know, what, when's the last time something in your life changed? You look at all this change that's going on in our country, all the cultural change, all the things that are probably going to, take place and make things different at the end of 2020 we're going to be a very different nation than we were at the beginning of 2020 and so you know that's that's no doubt and that brings a little anxiety to everybody because we're how am i going to fit how am i going to you know everybody likes to be the way but i'm talking about scriptures i'm talking about your walk with god and how you can get in a rut with that as well too and what is it how when's you know i could ask it this way kirk when was the last time god surprised you with something when's the last time you know, God did something that uh, you didn't expect. And uh, th- those type of things are great, great questions to ask. Oh, it's a very good question. Uh, and I'd like to kind of roll back a little bit on something you said for just a quick second. Mm-hmm. We, you were talking about how there has to be a paradigm shift for us to change our thinking. Mm-hmm. Think about, though, when Adam and Eve were in the garden. Yes. They were walking in the cool of the day with God. As they were walking with him, they walked with him as you and I are sitting here together or if we were walking down the hall together. Mm-hmm. But in one moment, mm-hmm. they ate of the apple, were disobedient, and suddenly when God comes back into the garden, he didn't change. He's still the same, mm-hmm. walking the same. They can't see him. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. happened? Yeah. They had a perspective change. Their perspective was skewed it's like they were looking at it from another angle. And in the process, what did they need? They needed a paradigm shift or a change in their position to bring themselves back in an alignment so that they could see God properly. You know, you're talking about you're talking about, you know, something very profound and huge there that has resulted in the way everybody says, you know, I, I believe you can't know God until you come to that huge paradigm change, that huge shift of vision, that huge, I've understand God's not against you. He's for you. God loves you. Jesus came to reveal uh, the heavenly father to a whole planet of spiritual orphans. And when you start realizing that, then you you realize God's not 
trying to crush me, trying to mold me, trying to keep me from having fun doing this. Yep. Or you, you, and, and more importantly, the whole uh, vision of religion, because, you know, that's the whole thing of their, their children, Cain and Abel. The very first two kids manifest the two streams for the rest of humanity. One, you know, God said, here's how I'm to be worshipped. I'm to be worshipped by, uh, you know, you bringing an offering to me, a, a sacrifice of an innocent animal. And you know what happened? Cain said, I've got a better idea. And uh, that's the religious way. i got a better idea. I'm going to give him. And so when it came time to make their offerings, here's Cain with the fruit of his ground, the fruit of his beautiful garden. And uh, and here's uh, Abel with this bloody mess of a lamb being slaughtered on a, on a thing. And you think, well, which one looks better in the flesh? The garden, the, the things that Cain and what looked better. But the Bible specifically says he had respect unto Abel. And did not have respect unto Cain and his, and we know the story of what happened as a result of that. People have been killing one another over worship ever since then. And so that's that stream of what you're, you know, talking about, because you can't even come to God until you have the yes. most momentous change in your life. And it takes God's goodness uh, to reach in in salvation and remove the scales from your eyes for you to be able to see uh, for that first time how good he is and how much he wants to have a fellowship with you. You know, I was thinking as we were going through that, I remember when I was uh, studying this passage of Scripture about Jesus leading this blind man out of town, I got to thinking about something. First of all, I got to thinking about something in, a personal in my own life. There, there was a time when I was on a mission board, and every Monday I had to catch a flight uh, to Atlanta to uh, attend this mission board meeting. It was almost every Monday. It was like two Mondays a month. I was on all these special committees, and uh, my assistant at the time, who's on here with us sometimes, uh, Renita Peavy, she used to say she knew I caught that flight at like 7, and I was going to land at about you know, 8.45, 9 o'clock, and uh, she said she would sit there with a, with a pad of paper waiting for me to call because it was an amazing thing once I got out of town. Once I got in that plane and got up and out of the familiar surround where I was, my mind would start thinking about all the things. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to get this done. I need to set this up. I need to do that. And the minute I would land with my cell phone, I would call her and just start giving her list after list after list of things. So that made me look at Scripture. Think about this, Kurt. How many people in Scripture literally, use a great word of the millennial generation, literally had to get out of town? Go to Abraham, the father of all who believe. He was in the Ur of the Chaldees. That was his home. They've excavated that area, and we believe that uh, Abraham was a very wealthy man. That was a very wealthy area. Had very beautiful uh, dwellings that they had there. And God said, you're going to live in a tent the rest of your life. Go, leave. He had to leave. He went through Haran and then down into the Promised Land to experience God. Uh, Jacob left his father's house in fear, uh, or left uh, his uncle, I should say, really, was where he was at, in fear. But then he met God in Bethel. You know, and, uh, and he had a change, you know, there. Actually, when he came out of, uh, of Laban's land later, again, leaving the familiar surroundings, he had another experience when the angel of the Lord wrestled with him. Joseph unwillingly was taken out of town. Uh, his brother sold him into slavery, and what you thought was just disaster for him ended up being that which refined him. For, so look at Moses. <laughs> he was grew up in the uh, palace of uh, Pharaoh. He had all the best food, all the best teaching, but he was basically forced he ran himself and uh, lived on the backside of the desert for 40 years you could do on what about jesus himself 
uh, after he's, he has to travel to be born in Bethlehem, and then after he, he's born, they have to be go to Egypt for a time, uh, you know, and then he's brought back, and then he would later say, uh, "The Son of Man has no place to lay his head." I mean, you could you could just really see specific individuals in Scripture that literally had to get out of town. I'm not talking about moving your address as much as I'm talking about getting into a new way of thinking or some different stimuli in your life that will force you to, to appropriate some good change in your life. Which is exactly what Jesus had to do with the blind man. Mm-hmm. He had mm-hmm. to get him out of town, yes. out of his comfort zone, completely shake his world to the foundation. Because I'm sure the first thing that that blind man thought was, uh, I don't know where my bed is. I don't know how, I, I don't even know if I'm going to get run over by a horse right now mm-hmm. or a camel. But this guy's leading me into an area that I know nothing of and I don't know how to get home. Mm-hmm. That you know, bring it, bring it back into the practical, um, like we're trying to do there at the end of this thing, because we're we're talking about all this change that's going on in the world, and it really does affect all of us. I mean, all of us. Uh, you know, the the older you get, maybe I don't even know if it's really that, but just uh, the the more you're set in your ways of whatever it may be, when this change is forced upon you, people get angry. Yeah. Uh, people get uh, scared. Uh, full of anxiety, all just like the blind man that's out of his familiar surroundings, and and we don't even realize we're doing it. And uh, most of the time, it's good uh, being the one with gray hair sitting here of the bishop and the moose, and not the big nice beard uh, beside me here. Uh, but that means I've been around for a little bit longer. And you know, I, I look in my life. You know, you see some of these things going on, like the virus and all. You think, oh, this change, oh, this change. You know, just I look back over just my time period. And I was a little kid, and I don't really remember. All of this, obviously, I was one year old, but when uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated, America was jolted into this, you know, I mean, you know, Don McLean wrote a great song about it, you know, the, the innocence was gone. And uh, the way we would look at the presidency had changed, and and the security of a president you didn't think could that you know be brought down by an assassin, and whoa the uncertainty that we went into that, and then all the change of the '60s, uh, with uh, uh, basically uh, the younger generation rebelling at that time. It's really funny. Everybody thinks of these young people today rebelling, and and you know obviously there's some rebellion that's very bad uh, that that's going on. But you look back in the '60s, and those people that rebelled are our senators and our congressmen and our doctors and our lawyers today that went to Woodstock, you know, uh, back in the 60s. Whatever. But that was a huge change. You get, you get in the 70s and Watergate hit. And I was real young, but I was very political as a kid, and I watched all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, I, I thought, man, how's it ever going to be the same again? And it wasn't. It changed. You know, you, you, you go on up in the Space Challenger uh, the space shuttle when Challenger uh, blew up in that January, uh, you know everybody was so accustomed to these liftoffs. Now they didn't even watch it on TV, and it kind of brought us all back to realize we're, this is not a hundred percent. You know these people lost their lives exploring space, and and I could just go through event after event. Obviously, nine eleven when it took place, we knew things would never be the same again, and and so we survived. Just in the last fifty years, we've just survived much change. We'll certainly uh, survive change going forward. Uh, and so we, we have to recognize that and uh, not allow it to knock us so far off of our base. But again, bringing it over to the spiritual side, uh, I hunger for that kind of change in God's people, a, a change that will you know, bring them more into a depth of their worship with God and their relationship with Him, bring them more into a richness of the life God intends for us to experience and live on this earth. Uh, you know, and that's not going to happen. 
unless God takes you out of your comfort zone, leads right. you out of town. So uh, be willing. Be ready. Uh, no one's going to pray, God, take me out of my comfort zone. I don't think I've ever prayed that prayer. Uh, there's enough things that happen in life that take you out on a regular basis anyway. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, be ready for it when it happens. It's not something to be feared. It's to be embraced. And uh, let's uh, look at it in a spiritual way and see how we can see God changing our lives through it as well. I think we also have to think about it from this perspective. God, when he's going to use you greatly, it doesn't matter if it's in the work, in your church, in your family, he's going to have to refine you. The refining process is never a pleasant Mm -hmm. process. It doesn't matter if it's refining metal or the creation of a diamond. Remember that if you are going through something, you have a choice. You can either let the pressure destroy you or... You can allow that pressure to take the coal that's in your life and to form it into diamonds. Yes. So you have the choice. You, Lord, allow this to be the thing that makes me that shining jewel in your crown. Or you can just let it crush you and not grow you. I would encourage you today to allow that pressure to be something that grows you in him and not allow you to be broken by it, but draw upon him and his spirit and allow that to be the catalyst that pushes you forward in Him. Very good, very good. Well, our 30 minutes goes by very fast on the, these evenings, and uh, we've been uh, excited to be with you. For all of you that watch it uh, with us live, those of you that watch it later on the different formats, uh, let's hear from you. I remind you, be clinging in my name. Most of you know it's uh, on my feed there, be clinging at trophylakes.org is an email address that you can reach me uh, with and uh, mooseministriesinc.com yes. is uh, Kirk's website. You can go there and, uh, and and reach out to him as well and find out a little bit about his ministry. It's been a joy uh, to encourage you this evening. I hope you hear these words. hope God will further them in your life so that you can experience life as God intends it for you as well. Kirk? Amen. Uh, God bless you guys. We're excited to see you again. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you. God bless.